What's going on? Welcome to the show. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. The numbers are 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Just a heads up, I'm a little punchy uh, because I was up late due to all of the coffee I drank while watching the Mecklenburg Board of County Commissioners meeting last night. So you didn't have to because I'm a giver. Okay. Um, we're going to get to that uh, in a bit. We're also going to talk later on in the program with uh, the chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party, Michael Watley, about the bill that's making, uh, it's actually not making its way through the Congress. <laughs> it's the nationalization of our elections. And the thing just to keep in mind on that is uh, this is all about planting the seeds, tilling the field, if you will, for the excuses to come. Okay, that's what's happening right now. We'll we'll go into it at uh, one o'clock. And also, just a reminder, when you're thinking about inflation, if you did not get a five and a half percent pay raise this year, you got a pay cut. Just a heads up on that. Okay, so uh, nearly a year has passed since the 2020 election, right? Still, there has not been a clear, satisfactory answer to the central mystery of how did a dull, declining Joe Biden manage to get 81 million votes and win the presidency? It's actually not a joke. Okay, after all, Biden spent most of the pandemic-laced campaign in his Delaware basement, and his appearances were marked by sparse crowds and signs that he had lost more than one step. Yet, he flipped five states Hillary Clinton lost in 2016, including Georgia and Arizona, And he racked up 306 electoral votes to Donald Trump's 232. This is, by the way, a piece by Michael Goodwin at the New York Post uh, a couple days ago. Now, by the way, uh, if you are of the belief that the entire election was stolen by hacking, voting machines or something like that, um, then uh, you don't have any questions, which is a very, I guess, uh, uh, it's a very comfortable uh, place to be. You assume that you know all of the things that everyone else doesn't, and so that's a very uh, no. You're at a, you have an advantage um, for folks who don't believe that. Uh, there's there are still some questions that remain. So Trump offers his own answer, of course, declaring incessantly that the election was stolen. His efforts to get Vice President Mike Pence at the time to block certification of the results, and then the January sixth Capitol riots have made his arguments out of bounds for most Americans, though. Numerous courts rejected claims made by Trump lawyers involving manipulation of voting machines, bags of secret ballots emerging, and other kinds of alleged fraud. But rejecting Trump's claims is one thing. Solving the riddle of Biden's triumph is another. See, and this is where I am. And there are, I've said this repeatedly over the last year, uh, you know, I've sat in boards of elections over the course of my 20 plus years covering politics and elections and news and stuff. And a lot of people just became aware of the, uh, the election rules last year, right? A lot of people just became aware of the rules last year and uh, to them, they don't know the rules. And so I'm just asking questions. You know, they, they, they get very upset and they, why, why are we auditing? Well, there are audits, there's canvassing, there's this, you know, like all of these different rules that are in place, right? And I, as one who has covered them, like I, I, I am aware of these rules. 
to a large degree. I'm not an expert. I just, I'm aware that there are a bunch of these rules. Okay. It's not my fault if somebody doesn't understand what those rules are, right? That's not my fault. And it also doesn't prove that the whole thing is rigged just because they don't understand what the rules were, right? Now, that being said, the rules got changed. The rules got changed. And this is why people like me were so outraged at what the Democrats did in North Carolina, but also in other states, particularly a man named Mark Elias. Just It just feels like he needs that music for some reason, in my mind, at least. Okay, so uh, rejecting Trump's claims is one thing, but understanding Biden's triumph is another. Lacking any other explanation, two-thirds of Republicans still believe the election was rigged and stolen from Trump. Only 18% believe that Joe Biden won fair and square. According to a recent Yahoo News YouGov survey, it found that 28% of independent voters agree that Biden's victory is illegitimate. Okay, this is not a good sign, not a good symptom for our democracy. And by the way, I use that, yes, in a mocking tone uh, to the Democrats, because when the Democrats say, when anybody on the left says our democracy or the democracy or, you know, uh, we're defending democracy, when they use the term democracy, what they mean is the Democratic Party. That's what they mean. So it makes it, see, so it's like a, uh, it's one of those games where if I say this, I actually mean this other thing. And so from now on, whenever you hear somebody on the left talk about the democracy, just keep in mind, what they mean is the Democratic Party. And then it all really makes sense. Their arguments, right? So such widespread suspicions are corrosive, says Michael Goodwin. And I completely agree. This is actually why I am for election integrity measures. It's why I want voter ID. It's why I want clamping down on absentee ballots. I don't think absentee balloting should be a really easy thing to do. I think uh, that there has to be, you know, there you should like North Carolina's got a pretty decent absentee ballot system, like the requirement that you have to first ask for it. I don't think they should just be mailing ballots to every single person that they think lives in the state. As California does, for example, they just shouldn't they should not be doing that. It's not secure. Okay, so the very same reasons why I am for election integrity measures is why I also believe that the undermining of elections is corrosive, whether it's somebody on the left doing it or somebody on the right doing it. Okay, and this leads us to Molly Hemingway's book. Molly Hemingway's book It's called Rigged. It is out on newsstands now. We're going to get into this. Covers a topic that I've actually covered uh, uh, pretty in depth over the last year, which is Zuck Bucks. Yeah, for real. I don't know if uh, Boomer Von Cannon's got any Zuck Bucks. Probably not. No, <laughs> you're right on it, man. <laughs> Just under the general category of yeah. Bucks, <laughs> Boomer's a no show. Yes, sir. You right. got it, man. Okay. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So Molly Hemingway, she is a um, senior editor at thefederalist.com. I've read The Federalist for years. I even bought one of their shirts. Pretty cool shirt. And she's also a Fox News commentator. She's got this new book out called Rigged. And she makes the case in this book that 
somewhere north of $400 million that Mark Zuckerberg, that Mark Zuckerberg, by the way, yes, of the Facebook fame, that he ostensibly spent to get out the vote was actually used by Democrat activists to infiltrate local election operations and take over jobs that government workers were supposed to do. And uh, I've interviewed, there's a fella, uh, uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank on his first name now, Hayden something. But um, yeah, anyway, uh, he uh, has done a lot of research on the Zuck Bucks. North Carolina got a bunch. And they basically funneled, Zuckerberg did through his uh, nonprofit group, and they funneled a whole bunch of money through these various left-wing organizations. And the cover story, <clears throat> sorry, for the record, the money was supposed to be used for like these, you know, really normal uh, election-related uh, endeavors. It's get out the vote stuff. It's oh, we're going to help with the you know absentee ballot printing costs and stuff like that, right? Just easy, uh, non-controversial items. But in her book. Hemingway shows how two Zuckerberg nonprofits used their unprecedented deep pockets to line up left-wing groups in key cities that in turn hired poll workers, collected absentee ballots, and cured those with errors. Cured in the election-related parlance is uh, simply means to correct, uh, correct a problem, right? So there's a deficiency of some kind on a ballot that you send in, and... Because of COVID, right, everybody in the elections office uh, was on the lookout for uh, mistakes that were made with all the absentee ballots. And so then they would call you up and say, hey, your absentee ballot, you made a mistake on it. Hey, do you want to fix it? Oh, we'll we'll totally send it back to you so you can fix it, right? And then that ballot, once corrected, is cured and then it can count. That is the most charitable explanation. Okay, that's the most charitable explanation for that process, because if you got a bunch of people who are leftist activist types that are getting, you know, paid by Zuckerberg in order to help cure ballots in targeted areas, what kind of ballots do you think that they're going to help cure the most? Right. This is why when people say that all oh, the election was you know rigged and all this other stuff and and it was about like the uh, the voting machines and they changed all the votes in the voting machines and all that stuff like again open to be persuaded show me your evidence I've not seen it even still today but it doesn't have to be like that it can be other it, it they can have affected the outcome in different ways and. I firmly believe like the um, uh, a lot of the the law changes that were done in advance of the election, North Carolina being a perfect example of it, not just were they designed to uh, uh, get the turnout among uh, Democrat voters that were targeted by these measures, but also to to prep the soil for the harvest of litigation. I think I've mentioned this before. So in North Carolina, you had a bunch of lawsuits that got filed, all by leftist organizations, all demanding a relaxation of the rules because of COVID, right? And this is, by the way, why some people 
make this argument that COVID was, you know, it's a pandemic and it's a, it was all manufactured in order to get Biden into the White House. And I think that's, by the way, it's one of the things, and this is like psychologically speaking, research shows that like people who believe one conspiracy theory tend to believe a whole bunch of them. You, you start, yeah, like you start going down that path and it's just, you see, you see conspiracies everywhere. So I actually have a, got the research here. I was going to get to it. But anyway, North Carolina is a good example because they, we got sued so many times. You then saw the state attorney general, Josh Stein, representing or defending the state in these uh, in the litigation. The state board of elections controlled by Karen Brinson Bell, the executive director, but also uh, Democrat appointments that Roy Cooper had sued in order to preserve a Democrat majority on the state board of elections. Um, and then the the litigants, the people who uh, or the plaintiffs, rather, who sued the state over these laws. It was the, the AFL-CIO's like uh, retirement group, like their their caucus of old people inside the AFL-CIO represented by Mark Elias, the Democrat super lawyer. Right. Mark Elias. Right. OK, so Mark Elias then enters into the settlement with the uh, attorney general. They're all Democrats and they cut out the General Assembly, the Republican General Assembly that passed the laws that got sued. Oh, that, that, that the lefty sued in order to undo, they cut a deal without including the Republicans, right? And what happened? So they got one of the rules changed. They got another one uh, reversed. But after the election was over and we had a very, very close race for the uh, chief justice of the state Supreme Court, Sherry Beasley was the incumbent. Paul Newby was the challenger, although he was also a a justice on that court. Uh, But for chief justice, I mean, it came down to a couple hundred votes. And they were arguing over whether or not absentee ballots should count or not based on when they were received into the Board of Elections. And you actually had Beasley attorneys arguing that uh, the postmark was basically irrelevant. Didn't matter. Because if it was... If it had arrived by this certain day, like two days afterwards or whatever it was, then it obviously had to have been mailed prior, even if the postmark was incorrect or missing. Right. This is what I mean. The the litigation uh, on the on the front end tilled the soil for the back end lawsuits after the fact when they needed lawsuits in order to count the ballots they wanted to count. So, all right, we'll get into more of this book by Molly Hemingway. Uh, and a couple sound bites here from Mark Elias up next. All right, yes, Hayden Ludwig. Thank you, Monica. I don't know why I blanked on his name. <laughs> he interviewed him like two or three times. Hayden Ludwig uh, did a bunch of research on the Zuckerberg Foundation's pumping of the money into uh, various nonprofit organizations that then went out and did a bunch of election-related work that uh, they pitch, they brand, as simply trying to make sure that people uh, had an easy time voting. But when you look at where they spent the money, it's all in certain areas. They targeted certain areas. And look, You can say, hey, that's politics, right? That's electoral politics. That's the way it goes. Okay. 
she says, Molly Hemingway does at the uh, in her book Rigged, uh, she says it was a genius plan because no one ever imagined that a coordinated operation could pull off the privatization of the election system. No laws were built to combat it. Texas researcher William Doyle crunched the numbers showing how the nonprofits concentrated in areas Biden won, often spending three or four times as much money per voter as they spent in districts that Trump won. Right. So they they come out and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to give all this money for get out the vote operations because we're really about the democracy. Remember what I said earlier? It's about the democracy. And then you look at where they spent the money and they'll throw a couple pennies over here in Trump land. Meanwhile, pouring the dollars into Biden-topia. Okay. Uh, GOP party leaders hoping to take back Congress in next year's midterms would do well to understand the details of how Democrats pulled off swing state victories for Biden. In some ways, the breakthrough recalls the big leaps in the use of technology that Barack Obama's campaign featured in 2008. In both cases... The intense collection of granular data, so really minute pieces of data, right, combined with armies of young people using it, won the day by turning out targeted voters. This was one of the biggest uh, developments, the biggest deals uh, in Democratic electoral politics was when Obama beat the Clinton machine with this. uh, I mean, he brought in all these tech people and they did this very thing. I remember you know, dissecting this, doing interviews at the time, sitting at this very desk in this position. Um, Well, I mean, it was nine to midnight, but whatever. The point is that uh, it was really remarkable what they were able to pull off. And the uh, the Republicans uh, promptly went about and copied it, (laughs) which they should. This is the thing. Democrats have for a very long time. Democrats are very good at conjuring up new ways to uh, to get out the vote and to collect information and target people. They are very good at it. They've they but Republicans then like take what Democrats do and uh, and then like turn it up to 11. They like really hone the process because that's I mean, if you think about it from a psychological perspective, you've got your openness and your ordered mindset, right? Your chaos and order mindsets and people on the left tend to be more open minded, chaotic and people on the right tend to be more closed but ordered. And so I mean, this is like Jordan Peterson, the uh, clinical psychiatrist, talks about this all the time, where uh, if you want people to go out and, you know, create new ideas and stuff, you want the open, creative type minds. And, well, there you go. That was my wedding ring. It just slid off my finger. Look at that. <laughs> I've lost so much weight from PhD weight loss. It literally just slid off my finger. Um, all right. Well, let's just put it over there then. But um You've got the open, chaotic mind to create the new idea, but then you need the ordered uh, mind to come along and say, this is how you manage it. This is how you keep it going and you perfect it. Okay. All right. So, and I know that's an overgeneralization and it's not insulting that you can exhibit different degrees of different kinds of mindset at different times in your life and whatever. Okay. I'm not going to get into all of the arguing over, I'm a conservative, but open, chaotic mind. It's not the point. Okay. Just in general. Okay. Um, Hemingway notes that uh, in the 2020 election, the effort also broke new ground in having activists replace government workers for election jobs, which made the use of data more efficient. One measure is that the 159 million votes cast 
represent nearly 67% of the eligible population, making the turnout percentage the highest in 120 years. Although Trump doesn't have trouble raising money, his campaigns did not feature strong ground games. Both of his races were built around his personality and his rallies, and they drew big crowds, no doubt about it. He won more than 74 million votes. Um, that was an increase of like 10 million over his previous tally. And he sounds still like he's you know going to run in another three years. But Joe Biden's victory exposed the limits of Trump's approach. And now we have a good picture of how Democrats did it. Tellingly, Republicans are furious at what Hemingway uncovered and promised investigations and legislation. That's all well and good. But chances they'll succeed before the midterms are almost nil. For example, the GOP legislature in Wisconsin passed a bill banning private funding of state operations, but the Democratic governor vetoed it. North Carolina saw a similar piece of legislation as well. So until further notice, Zuckbucks remain the coin of the political realm. This was... Uh, Michael Goodwin from the New York Post. Byron York over at the Washington Examiner, he uh, he did a review of Molly Hemingway's book as well. It's, again, it's called Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections. It's on sale now. And she, uh, Byron York says she covers the ways the Democratic activists took advantage of the COVID pandemic to push long-sought changes in the ways people vote. They were enormously successful in some key states and left Republicans desperately playing catch up. Okay. Again, this is important to keep in mind right now because like at one o'clock, we're going to talk with the uh, state party chairman of the Republican party, uh, Michael Watley about the efforts in DC to create essentially nationalized election law. So everybody has to follow the same laws that Democrats want and what, now, they know these rules are not going to pass. They, like, they've already had to scale it back, right? They've already, uh, was it uh, the For the People Act, and now it's like uh, Freedom for Elections Act or something. They've already changed the name of the thing. They've scaled it back. The point is not to pass the bill at this, at this uh, stage of the game because they don't have enough votes in the Senate. So the point is not to pass the bill. The point is to give them an argument, to give them an excuse because – the party that controls the White House generally loses seats in the midterm election. So everyone is anticipating Democrats losing their majority in the House and the Senate, uh, and they may lose bigly, right? They, they, may, they may lose a lot of seats. And if you look at the polling right now, and again, it's only right now, but the trend line is not good. It is not good because Democrats ran as far left as possible as quickly as they could. And that's not where the nation is. That's not even where the Democratic Party is, apparently. Yeah. Justin asks me on the Twitter machine where you can hit me up at Pete Callender. Pete, all of the lawfare aside... We're still being asked to believe that Joe Biden turned out 81 million voters, the most ever for a guy who rarely appeared in public. So was the lawfare to defend what everybody knew would be many illegitimate votes via the mass mailing? Yeah, I, I think that's part of it. I think there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, prepping the field for litigation after the fact, whatever that 
might look like, whether it's fighting over absentee ballots, whether it's fighting over, um, you know, the collection mechanisms or allegations of fraud, all that stuff. Right. I think, yeah, the, the, the more opportunities you can leave for yourself after the votes are counted, the more likely you're going to be able to get a different outcome. Now, the, but but that it seemed to be mostly unnecessary for Democrats because of the amount of votes that came in. And again, unless you know people are able to figure out a way to prove that these votes were not legitimate votes, which is why I am a proponent of election integrity measures, I want there to be audits of elections. I want there to be real I want there to be much tighter scrutiny, okay? Uh, because that's the way you restore confidence. And by the way, when you have confidence in the system, then more people vote. Okay, that's what voter ID, when it's approved in various states, when they've gone to voter ID, and you see the uh, turnout go up. Okay, uh, that, that's another reason I'm for voter ID, because you get more people with more confidence, and then they are more willing to participate in the system, in the in the electoral process. Um, is it impossible for me to believe that Biden got the most votes ever? Logically? No, it's not. You know why? Because the guy he ran against. And I know a lot of Trump supporters don't want to hear that. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, there are a lot of people that did not want to vote for Donald Trump because it's because it's Donald Trump. And I know that that's not you. But there are a lot of people that didn't want to vote for him. And Joe Biden... By locking him in a basement and not doing interviews, let Trump beat himself. Let Trump go out there, let him say all the stuff, let him do the rallies, and just and just let people see that and say, I'm not him. Because honestly, Joe Biden is a very similar type of a guy, except a politician. Like, imagine if Donald Trump, instead of going into um, uh, development you know, New York City real estate right? instead of that whole path. Uh, let's say he went into like politics. Uh, he would he would be a very similar type of a character to Joe Biden. Joe Biden is very similar uh, to me. It's comical how the Democrats nominated a guy who was so very much like Donald Trump. Right. Like this working man. I mean, I'm not saying he was or is. I'm saying like this is the image that they promoted. Right. That he's this working guy. Oh, lunch pail Joe. He just takes the train into work every day. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> and he wasn't. Um, and he would what? He would get up in people's face. He'd be like, look, Jack. Right? He would say all these, these crazy, very old, elderly kinds of phrases. But he would still say them, you know. It, just, it, it was just a very similar kind of a, a, a character. Anyway, um, is it possible that he got that many votes? Yeah, absolutely. You know why? Because... Everybody was stuck at home and everybody, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people got mailed ballots. Yeah. Now, do I believe fraud occurred? Absolutely. You know why? Because fraud occurs in every election, every single one. There are, there are examples, maybe one or two, maybe more in every, every single state has some degree of election fraud. It happens. It happens. And yeah, because there are very few safeguards to actually prevent it from occurring. You may be able to catch it after the fact, but to prevent it from occurring. No, 
Uh, and again, I give you the quote of uh, the Suffolk County, Long Island uh, election supervisor when interviewed by the, uh, I believe it was the Raleigh News and Observer, uh, about a candidate who was running for the state legislature here, who was originally from New York and had voted in apparently, the, I think it was the 08 election in both states. Now, she claims that she did not vote in person in New York, but she voted in person in North Carolina. But the records show in person, somebody voted in person in both places. Now, her records and the investigation show that it puts her in North Carolina. And when the supervisor of the Suffolk County Long Island elections was asked about it, he, he said, literally, it's basically an, an honor system. That's what he said. <laughs> and so, okay, I'm going to. If that's what you're telling me, then why wouldn't I believe there's some element of fraud? I'd have to be crazy not to believe that, right? So then enter in Mark Elias, he of the Steele dossier, right? Mark Elias at Perkins Coie Law Firm representing the Clinton campaign, his partner, uh, one of his colleagues at the law firm now indicted uh, for his role in passing off the Steele dossier, Mark Elias is in this up to his eyeballs, okay? In it up to his eyeballs. And uh, he was at, and he's been at the center of the litigation in North Carolina for years, for years. He was our governor's lawyer. I'll take questions. Our North Carolina press corps will not ask the governor for $200, please, Alex. Or no, sorry, I'm, well, not Alex anymore. But yeah, like... Why isn't anybody asking Governor Cooper? So you had Mark Elias as your attorney. Are you worried at all about like his role, his law firm's role in the steel dossier and all of that? No. Oh, okay. Right. Um, then you also add in big tech and their suppression, their censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story, which was true. And their promotion of the letter from all of these, uh, you know, foreign, uh, espionage experts and all of this, uh, they were like, well, we've looked at the, the story in the New York Post and uh, it has all of the hallmarks of a Russian disinformation op. Was it a Russian disinformation op? No, it was not. No, it was not. It actually occurred under Biden with the hookers and the drugs and the photos. And oops, lost track of a laptop. Actually, lost track of two. <laughs> He's actually lost track of... Two different laptops. So the Steele dossier was one of the most successful dirty tricks ever. Mark Elias, working on behalf of the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee, paid Fusion GPS, this opposition research firm, uh, they paid Fusion GPS to go enlist the former British spy, uh, Christopher Steele. He then compiles the list of the false and slanderous allegations about Trump. A bunch of others like Michael Cohen going to Prague. They then brief the president about the salacious rumors. They then leak that meeting to the media. And away we go. Mark Elias at the center of all of that disinformation operation. Up next, Michael Watley from the state GOP.